You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning. Are you awake? Hope so. Um, so, uh, I'm almost over my jet lag, and, uh, but I'm not over what I experienced in Israel. And um, in case you don't know, I, I uh, had the opportunity to go, was there for a week, and um, man, God just really blew my mind, um, transformed the way I think, just after a day of being there, um, already reading and seeing things in God's Word uh, different. Um, probably a year from now, sometime between this time of year and spring break, I will be leading a trip to Israel. And so if that's something that you've thought about doing, um, I would highly encourage you, if it's the Bahamas or Israel or something else, maybe go with Israel. Um, it will change your life. Um, so over the next weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you guys some things that I learned and saw and experienced. And um, right now, to be honest with you, my head is still like reeling from all of it. So, but I, uh, I appreciate your prayers while I was there and uh, I'm glad to be back. Glad to be home. Um, in Ventura, California, there are two trees up on a hill. Here they are. Back in the late 1800s, uh, there were two men, Joseph Sexton and Owen Marin, who planted this whole area of blue gum eucalyptus trees. There were 13 of them, and they took up that entire hill area. Well, somewhere in the first part of the last century, a great fire swept through that area and took eight of those trees out. And you may be going, well, now 13 minus eight isn't two, Brian. Good point. Um, in the second part of the last century, um, because, you know, there's always somebody, uh, because of the fact that we are born corrupted, I guess, that decides they want to destroy things that we all need to see, vandals snuck onto this property and destroyed three of the remaining five trees. And so for somewhere around the last 40, 50 years, these two trees have remained. They're blue gum eucalyptus trees. And you can probably see there's this little trail going up to them, even though it's private property, um, people venture up there all the time. And anyone who lives near Ventura, at least from my understanding, knows about these two trees. They're a landmark. They're an icon. They look out over the valley. And there are other pictures I saw online of some of the sunsets around where these trees are. It's just absolutely beautiful. What if I told you this morning, life is about a choice that you and I have between two trees. Two trees. Which one are we going to choose? This morning, we're going to take a walk through the Garden of Eden and take a look at these two trees. And my prayer is that we choose wisely. 
So if you will look with me in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 7. Halfway through, well, okay, no, here we go. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pashan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there as well. The name of the second river is the Gahan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And then in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So let's take a second and make sure we're all tracking here. God made Adam, places him in the Garden of Eden, says, I have given this to you. It's, it's perfect. It's all that you need. You're going to work it. Um, you're going to live here. And he told him, you could partake of any tree in the entire garden that you want, including the tree of life. Now, I think that you and I are smart enough to know that something called the tree of life, this must be a good thing. And so, Adam, all the trees are yours to partake of, including the tree of life, but you are not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God saw that Adam needed a helper, and he made Eve. Chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Serpent. Who is this serpent? Well, let's look at one place where we're told who this serpent is. If you take a second and go with me over to Revelation chapter 12, John is very clear about who the serpent is. Revelation 12 verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The serpent is more crafty, more deceitful than any other living creature. He said to the woman, did God actually say you will not eat 
of any tree in the garden? You, you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. What God said was, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. You, sh- you can't even touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. We've talked about this before. I don't know if you remember or not, but basically what Satan is saying to her is, it won't kill you. You know, as if that's like the end all of anything we make as a choice. It won't kill me. So, hey, why not? You won't die, he tells her. God just knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Like God's playing hide and seek with Adam or something. He knows where Adam is. He's trying to give Adam an opportunity to come forward. Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And here we go. It's the beginning of the blame game, isn't it? The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The deceiver finds Eve and what does he do? He does what every single one of us should expect him to do. He deceives. He deceives Eve. And there's two specific things that I I want us to, to look at about this deception, about how Satan works. Uh, I want us to take a look for just a minute at his method and his mission. So in other words, what does he do and how does he do it and why does he do it? First of all, Satan's method. What does he do? He asks Eve questions. And what his questions do is they get Eve beginning to ask questions. He misleads her by misrepresenting God. He whispers something to her. Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? Do you think maybe you misunderstood him? Or hey, maybe, just maybe, God's trying to hide something from you. His questions cause Eve to begin questioning God. And that's what Satan wants. He wants us to begin to question. That's the method. Now, why does he do this? 
What's his mission in all this? Well, God knows that if he, Satan knows that if he can get us to the point of questioning God, this will lead us to a place called discontentment. I hope that you will get familiar with that word. Maybe you want to write it down on your sermon notes. Make a note on your phone or something. Discontentment. That's where Satan wants to lead me and wants to lead you. You won't die. This won't kill you. Actually, if if you understood, what you'd realize is God's holding out on you. He told you that he gave you everything you needed and wanted, but then he stuck this one tree here and said, you can't eat of this. Why would he do that? God's holding out on you, Eve. There's something that you deserve that God's not giving you. And all of a sudden, Eve lands in this place called discontentment. And you know what happens when we arrive at discontentment? Discontentment always leads to this other thing that we're probably even more familiar with called entitlement. I don't have that, but I deserve that. That that should be mine. Discontentment always leads to entitlement and entitlement fills us up with pride and with self-centeredness. And you know what pride and self-centeredness are? They're symptoms of a root. They're symptoms of a root called sin. So make sure you're not missing this. Discontentment leads to entitlement. Entitlement puffs us up with pride and self-centeredness, which are sin. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Sin always leads to shame. Sin always leads us to shame. Do you remember what we're told about Adam and Eve right after Eve is created and God brings Adam and Eve together that the man and the wife, they were both naked, but they were not ashamed. But discontentment led to entitlement and entitlement led into sin. And the next thing you know, they're hiding in the garden. Why? Because Adam confesses it to God. I was ashamed. I was afraid. Sin always leads us to shame. Go back with me here for a second. There are are two trees. Two specific trees in the garden that God addresses. And these two trees stand in direct opposition of one another. You have the tree of life. Sit under its shade. Feast on on what it provides. And then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have the tree of contentment and provision and everything that I could ever need, God has supplied me. And then you have the tree of entitlement and discontentment, the tree of even though this tree looks to be all that I need, surely God is holding something out on me. He wants to keep something for himself as if he's got God or something. There are these two trees And we can't sit under the shade of both. We can't feast of both. We have a decision that we have to make. 
And I want your decision and my decision to be as informed as it possibly can be. So understand that the tree of life, this is the thought, this is the place of God is the great provider. God has supplied me with all that I could ever need. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the thought that somewhere, whether it's made its way to the surface or it's still buried within me, God has withheld something from me. You know, the time that Lee led us in a few moments ago of of quietly just praying before the Lord, those are the moments that you and I weekly, probably daily, need to be asking, God, is there anything or anywhere in my life that I'm deceiving myself into believing there's something you have withheld from me? The tree of life was created for you and I to enjoy and to savor the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is forbidden because there are things like Isaiah tells us that you and I cannot handle, cannot comprehend. We can't understand because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are higher than ours. We can't go there and yet we want to. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is rooted in our determination. Please hear this. To be the ones who get to decide what's right and what's wrong. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is is that you and I, we make this determination that I get to be the one to decide what's right, what's wrong. And see, Only God has that authority and responsibility. Satan, Satan's ruin and his downfall was that he wanted to be God. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the amount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will send, ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. No. God says, no, that's only mine. And because of your determination and your desire that you think you can be me, you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Satan wanted the authority to determine what's right and what's wrong. See, Satan wanted to be the one to determine what garden, what tree, what fruit. No, I don't care that you said this one's forbidden. It's here and I want some. And so that's why his goal is to lure you and to lure me to the same tree. Hey, you guys, you don't know what God's holding out on you. You got to join me over here. We don't belong there. 
Satan seeks to draw men into the same ruin. Why does he do this? We've talked about it before. Misery loves company. And I don't know if this may be like the most like duh statement I will make to you, or maybe it will be on the other end. It will be mind blowing and just brain racking. But in case you weren't aware of this, there is no one more miserable in all of creation than Satan. No one. There is no one more miserable. I want you to think about this. The one thing that Satan wants, he will never get. He wants to be God. It won't happen. And now he seeks to draw you and draw me into the same misery along with him. Because you know what? If I'm going down, I might as well take you with me. Satan's always going to lead us to believe that God has withheld something from us. Satan promotes pride, but he doesn't package it where we'll recognize it as pride. Satan sells entitlement. There is no greater door-to-door salesman than Satan. He always deceives and he always seduces toward what's forbidden. Satan found Eve and Eve was vulnerable. And, you know, again, this is not a thing to sit and debate for like the sexes of, oh, who was weak and who didn't speak up. And I mean, Satan could have lured Adam and Eve followed right along with him. That's not the point. The point is that they were both deceived into believing there was something there that God had said, you don't need. And they determined, yes, we do. Satan seduces Eve. Eve says to Adam, I think we should really eat this. Why does she say that? Because misery loves company. I don't know where this is going to lead, but if I'm going down, you should come with me. And what does Adam do? Follows right along. I want to ask you this morning to prayerfully consider what entitlement is Satan trying to sell you right now? Because you see, if, if you have bitterness in your heart and your life towards someone else, there's an entitlement that is growing there like a poison because Satan has deceived you. Your flesh has deceived you into believing um, that the grace and mercy that God has poured out on you, you're going to withhold that right now from this person for whatever it was they said or they did. What about jealousy? I'll be honest with you and confess to you this morning that I struggle a whole lot and it's, it's probably not a lot of times, like I, I don't drive down the road uh, and like out loud say, man, I wish I had that car. <laughs> I don't. 
I'm not dumb enough to do that. Mainly because I know if I say it out loud, I'll realize how foolish it is. But are there people around you that have things or do things or go places or I don't know what it is. And, and you've bought into this mindset that, man, if I could just do that, if I could just get that, if I could hold that thing in my hand, finally, once and for all, whew, it would all be better. Every one of us in this room who've played that game and are aware of it, we know where it leads. It leads absolutely nowhere. It's me trying to shimmy up the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when the tree of life is sitting right over there with everything that I need. What is Satan trying to sell you right now? Because in our culture right now, and again, it's not like this hasn't happened before. It just comes in different packages with different names. But I will say that we are living in a culture and in a time right now where the pervasive thought is, I get to determine what's right and what's wrong. No, you don't. You don't. God does. And he hasn't left us guessing as to what that is. And so hear this, whatever the, the, the liar may be coming to you with, the deceiver, the only way you're ready to look through the people and go, oh, no, 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 I know that's you and I'm not letting you in is for the word of God to be consuming your mind, your heart, and your life. And so I shouldn't be surprised when I'm in the middle of a week and maybe I all of a sudden realize I'm suffocating in materialism and, and I'm really being poisoned by bitterness, but I've spent no time communing at the feet of God. What lies Satan trying to sell you right now? Because I guarantee you, he's trying to sell you something. The question is, are you buying? You have to make the determination, no, I'm not buying. I have all that I need in Jesus Christ. So going back to my first statement, life, life is this choice between these two trees. And on the one hand, I will tell you that I believe everything written in Genesis is literal. I literally believe there was a garden 
with literally a tree of life in it and literally a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I also believe something else. I believe like many, many other things woven all throughout God's word, that this tree of life was from the very beginning pointing us to something else. The tree of life is Jesus Christ. He is the place where you and I find everything that we need. Jesus, as we saw a few weeks ago in the gospel of John, we understand Jesus is the word of God. Everything in, everything through, everything about the word of God is pointing us to Jesus. And so we feast on the fruit of the tree of life when we surrender and obey Jesus. Is that where you're feasting and where you're living? These two trees lead to very, very different places. But I want to close this morning going back to Revelation and just sort of taking a look at Where is this tree of life leading us? Why why should I make this decision? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, go back with me, Revelation 12, 9. We read again, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Why do you and I need to understand in the book of Romans that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the father interceding for you and me saying, Lord, Father, Brian is paid for. My blood has covered him. Why do I need that? Because the accuser is there too. And saying, oh no, I've watched Brian and he's lust in his heart. He covets what his neighbor has. He doesn't trust you some days. God hears none of it. Because Jesus stands between them on your behalf and mine. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. In other words, he will not stop deceiving, conniving, and accusing until Christ comes back. So be alert. But now turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like something that you would want? Maybe a place you'd want to roll up your jeans and walk in? 
I bet you might even be able to like lay down on the grass and just drink it without a filter. That's mind-blowing. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now just listen to this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, life begins at the tree of life and that's where it's going to end. Jesus leads us back to that same place, eternal life and healing. Did you see what it said there in verse two? Healing flows to the nations from the tree of life. Jesus Christ is the tree of life. May we run to its shade, feast on it. May we trust in him for all that we need. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that in these moments you would speak to our heart through the word. Lord, we pray this morning if there is unconfessed sin in our life that you would reveal it to us. that we would not only confess it, but Lord, repent of it, walk away from it. Lord, would you reveal to us anywhere in our life, in our heart, that discontentment has led us to entitlement and entitlement has plummeted us into sin and as a result maybe we're sitting here this morning drowning and suffocating in shame Lord may we be reminded today died and rose again that we might not walk and live in shame any longer.
there's nothing this world has to offer us that will ever satisfy our soul. Only you. So this morning, we just proclaim together that through every trial, through every sorrow, through every victory, through every blessing, whether we are on top of the mountain or we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Anything and everything in all of creation, Lord Jesus, you are better. You are greater. We long for our lives to reflect that, Lord. In just a moment, as we sing, I just want to invite you maybe you don't need to sing maybe you need to come to the steps or the foot of the cross and pray if you're here this morning and need someone to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ some of our leaders, pastors will be in the back at the tables they would love to talk with you and pray with you Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.